welcome back to Page of the Wind, the interstitial podcast where we talk about Patrick Rothfuss's The Name of the Wind, page by page. And uh, today, as for the last couple of episodes, we are actually talking about your letters page by page. And we have pages and pages of letters to get through. So thank you for keeping Mr. Mailbag fat and happy. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. And we have a letter from our old friend Curtis concerning page 281. Greetings, J&J. How did you not talk about the emir mentioning that he would march through opposing gods, plural, in order to achieve his task? Ostensibly, the order is a branch of the Tellin Church, which seems monotheistic or duotheistic to me, but this sentiment sure seems polytheistic. Maybe it is just a remnant of an older religion or mythos, or maybe it is just a rhetorical turn of phrase, but it could also hint at actual history, I suspect. That is a weird wording for someone who is tied to the church, but not for one who predates the church and is actually a participant in the ever-war between deity-level beings. On a note related to this whole chapter, the beggar's name is said to be Skeop here. Go to the Wikipedia page for Skop. Maybe a coincidence, but it is really a really good one in my opinion, if so. Cheers, Curtis. I think that that's an interesting idea, Curtis, but I think that the, uh, the Occam's Razor solution is that in the real world, when Christendom or Christianity was still early, it coexisted with polytheistic religions, uh, and it co- coexists with polytheistic religions in the present day as well. So I don't think that it's unreasonable to think that someone who was raised in the milieu of the Tellin Church, a monotheistic religion as far as I'm concerned, would, like, I don't think it's out of the question for them to conceive of other gods. They're just, like, not the real gods, right? They're not legitimate gods. They're not my gods, but they, you know, they, somebody believes in them. And I can I can say rhetorically that I would march through opposing gods. That is also my opinion. That doesn't seem inconsistent to me. But if it turns out that we are meant to pay more attention to that, that it is meant to provide us with a clue about the history, I will doff my cap to you. Jordana, what have you learned about the Wikipedia page for Scop? Well, this is just Scop S-C-O-P, right? Yep. I mean, I don't know what he's getting at. So what I, what I found here is that it is an acronym for several things. So the things it is an acronym for include uh, structural... Sorry, I, I'm going to cut you off right there. It's also a word. What? It's Not a... on Wikipedia. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'll send you the link. A Scop was a poet as represented in Old English poetry. The scop is the old English counterpart of the old Norse skald, with the important does, difference what? with the important difference that skald was applied to historical persons, and scop is used for the most part to designate oral poets within old English literature. So a scop is an oral poet, and the guy who's telling this and oral poets were likely traveling, much like uh, skalds or bards were. They travel from place to place telling stories, and the beggar who is traveling is named Skeop, which could be a cognate of Skop, a storyteller, a poet. Well, that is very compelling. I am frustrated and upset that Wikipedia lied to me but told you the truth. (laughs) Mm, Did you go to the disambiguation? What? No. When you look for something on Wikipedia and it has more than one definition, you can click on go to disambiguation page and then you'll find, like, what is the thing I'm looking for here? There's scop in the context of naming species according to binomial nomenclature. And then there's also a disambiguation page for the acronym SCOP. I see. 
that is frustrating. <laughs> I did not understand that that you I mean, you did too um, much actual research in school instead of just relying on Wikipedia like the rest of us. Yeah, um, I definitely am not Wikipedia savvy. Uh, so we have another letter from AS on uh, page three hundred and forty-seven timelines brackets. Nick is right. Wow, I'm certainly glad he's not here to to crow about that. Uh, here we go, <laughs> dear pagers. Apologies if someone has already pointed this out. I am still catching up. No worries, I will have forgotten if someone has pointed it out already, so it'll be brand new to me. In this episode of The Wise Man's Page, you wonder if Chronicler went to the university before or after Quoth. Here I submit evidence for Nick's side, that Chronicler actually went to the university much after Quoth. On page 331, probably 330 in the one you're reading, Chronicler says, But that's the first story I ever heard about you when I came to the university. He is referring to Quoth's trial in Imrath. It seems obvious to me from this that Chronicler went to the university after Quoth, and Quoth was flat out lying about reading the mating habits of the common Dracus in the name of the wind. I recall thinking at the time that Quoth appeared to be exaggerating his praise of mating habits to gently tease Chronicler. Maybe he had read some other book about Dracuses, Draci, but inserted Chronicler's book instead as an inside joke. As always, thanks for the great podcast, signed A.S. I, I can't argue with that, but I now have other theories related. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why it couldn't be both. I don't see why Cloth couldn't have returned to the university at some later date, you know, in disguise or as a visiting scholar or something and read the book then. Oh, no, no, no. I think the book was written. I just think that Chronicler went to the university after writing the book. What? Yeah. Okay, that's that doesn't make any sense to why me. Why not? Because it's like his dissertation. Oh. Could it not have been, like, his portfolio to get into the university? Yeah, but, like, when I submitted my portfolio to get into university, it didn't then go in the university library. It got put in a paper shredder. You know, maybe if it was really good, it wouldn't have been shredded. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> you even wow. say that with a straight face you know i'm kidding <laughs> listeners i'm gonna let jordana read the next couple of letters because i've been too badly burned <laughs> jeremy you know i'm kidding come on <laughs> no, i have to wash away my tears i have to drown my sorrows i'm gonna read this next letter from uh listener amanda writes on hibernation snacks dear mr mailbag are you listening mr mailbag Yes, Jeremy, I am. While the hosts are hibernating, I don't want you to be waiting. So here's a snack to pass the time. I hope you like my little rhyme. Signed with seven pointless yet happy words, Amanda. That is the sweetest thing. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. Uh, that will certainly tide Mr. Mailbag over a nice aperitif uh, for uh, our next round of letters. I definitely don't know how to feel about this because while I extremely dislike the idea that Mr. Mailbag is a creature in any form or that he has a gullet, I also think that that letter was really sweet. <laughs> it was really sweet. Maybe, Jordana, you just have to like learn to accept Mr. Mailbag as he is, not as you would like him to be. Maybe as he is, is not sentient. Hmm, I don't know about that. 
I'll believe it when I see it. How's that? Oh, but you can see me sometimes. I'm right here. I always have been. No. No. Just, no. So creepy. Stop it. He is the stuff of nightmares. That's right, Jordana. I'm a waking nightmare. Great. Fantastic. Let's read another letter. Let's. This one is from... Uh, this one is from Lindsay. A few thoughts from before the break. Hello, all. I hope you were able to rest and recharge during the break. You certainly deserve it. Since I'm writing about a week into your months-long hiatus, feel free to skip over this and move on to newer and more relevant points. Absolutely not. Under no circumstances. First, you speculated on page 496 what Denna could be braiding into her hair during the fight between her and Quoth. Whether or not Quoth actually poses a threat, Denna does get into a huge fight in a secluded area where the man, we think, has, a very, has very scary anger issues. And we also believe she is being abused by her patron. It is possible Denna was braiding something along the lines of don't hurt me or don't hit me. Although during my first and your second reread, I did not get the sense that Denna was afraid of Quoth during this scene, so perhaps not. Second, Nick's new favorite crackpot theory that Mellow and Lackless is Denna's patron got me thinking about a few things. There are several theories that seem to be widely entertained, namely that Quoth's mother is Natalia Lackless and that Denna's patron is associated with a supernatural group such as the Chandrian or the Amir. If these are true, several possibilities come to mind. Meloin is a Chandrian and killed her sister when they massacred Quoth's troop. Meloin is a Chandrian, but the Chandrian didn't actually kill Quoth's troop, as has been posited before, which could explain why Meloin hates the Ross so much if she thinks they stole her sister and then got her killed. If Meloin is a Chandrian or Amir, is that hereditary, the way we think fey blood is passed down from parent to child? And is Quoth also related to one of these groups? Is Quoth fey on his dad's side and Amir or Chandrian on his mother's side? Oh, wow. Because he's a super special prophecy boy? Apologies if you've already mentioned any of these on the show. There are so many episodes, and it's hard to keep track of all the shenanigans you get up to. All the best, Lindsay. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. Uh, We certainly don't keep track of all the crazy stuff we talk about on this show. We've recorded like a thousand episodes. It would be impossible. But that being said, I don't think we have discussed these ideas before. We definitely have not discussed Quoth being both Faye and Amir. No. And I love that idea so much. So do we want to start on the bottom of this one and work our way up? Sure. Sounds good. All right. So. We've got a couple of different ideas here that, like, basically, if the theory that Mello and Lackless is Dennis' patron is true, and the theory that Quoth's mother is Natalia Lackless is true, then we can start to think about these hypotheticals, right? We have to take those as given. So, either, so it's possible that she's a Chandrian and that they, she killed her sister when they massacred Quoth's troop, which is messed up. Yeah, that's dark. Yeah, that is dark. And actually, whether or not the Chandrian did or didn't kill Quoth's troop, I think that Meluin's underlying reasons for blaming the Ra for Natalia's death would still be she never would have been killed if she hadn't run off with these Ra, yeah. right? Either by me, the Chandrian, or by the people who are actually responsible, right? I think she'd still be able to blame the Ra for that. Who, I mean, the Chandrian were there when Quoth came back, so who then would have killed the troop? 
Well, yes, exactly. But, of course, uh, someone like Nick will say, ah, but that's what Rothfuss wants you to think. And will point out that we don't actually see the Chandrian kill his parents. Quoth shows up, the, the troop is dead, and the Chandrian are sitting around at the campfire. And when Quoth first describes Cinder's sword, it is not covered in blood, so... And he later believes that it is. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so like, I, I, you know, a suspicious reader, uh, a blasphemous reader, uh, <laughs> would, would start to think that maybe those things aren't adding up. Um, and then, of course, we get to the real, the real doodle baker, uh, the idea that being a Chandrian or an Amir is hereditary. I certainly have been thinking of the Chandrian as a unique group who were like cursed somehow to be these immortal, powerful beings. But we don't know for sure that that's true. That's just like what it seems like if we if we sort of put string the beads together that Haliax is Lanra, or that those figures are connected somehow, then Haliax is like is the result of the curse that Zelatos put on Lanra. Right, that would seem to me to preclude the idea that the Chandrian can like pass on their Chandrianness. Yeah, but we don't know for sure that that's true, right? Like, you know, it, it's possible that you can like pass it on, and that maybe the Chandrian who are Chandrian now are the descendants of the the Chandrian who who were originally created by that curse. Now, there's always supposed to, be, and like that might explain why different legends say that there's like a different number of them, right? They they don't always agree how many Chandrian there are. Indeed, it doesn't seem likely, but I have to put forward that it is possible. Uh, where I am going to bulk a little bit is that there's no prophecy about Quoth. He's not a super special prophecy boy. He's just a super special boy, and I actually happen to think that his ancestry is, uh, like, if he does have fey blood, I actually think that it's supposed to be incidental rather than important to the plot. Because people people sometimes say, like, oh, he's fey-touched just because he has, like, red hair. So it's, you know, much in the... And, like, I think that was a real-world superstition, too, that, like, redheads were, like, fairy changelings or whatever. Yeah, there were a lot of superstitions about redheads. <laughs> That's right. Um... But I, I actually think that part one of the ways in which Rothfuss is actually working against the grain of other fantasy books is that I think he I don't think he wants to to do the kind of like special chosen one destiny Michiga. Like Quoth is special because he is like a gifted musician and kind of a polymath. Like he's special because he's smart, but he's not special because of who his parents were. Hmm. Except insofar as his parents like taught him music and stuff. Yeah. But like I don't I don't think that Rothfuss wants to tell a story about like magical bloodlines or whatever. So I think if we do find out that Quoth does have a pinch of fey blood, it's just gonna be to explain some of the minor things. Like, you know, explain maybe how he can find Fae so easily. But I don't think it's gonna be like he is a child of destiny, a child of the Chandrian and the Emir and the Fae. He is part of all worlds and no world. Like, I don't, I don't think that's going to be the deal. Yeah, I'm going to say that this is the wrong book for destiny. 
The right book for Destiny is The Witcher. Uh, yeah. And uh, you can learn more about the destiny of Geralt of Rivia uh, on Netflix's The Witcher Season 2, coming soon to a television near you. <laughs> We're not sponsored, by the way. We just really We're like not. it. <laughs> but we would be. Oh, we would sell out in oh, a Oh, yes. Yes, I would Netflix happily money. sell out to The Witcher. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> sell out to the burly, tender arms of Henry Cavill. I mean, and Henry Cavill is incidental. For you. I mean, like, he's the only reason that I feel like I'm totally okay with Henry Cavill as Geralt is because he's a fan. Like, he's not who I initially pictured as Geralt being, but you know what? He's a fan, and the fact that he's a fan and gets to play a character that he's a fan of makes my heart very warm. And listeners, you'll warm our hearts and Mr. Mailbag's tummy on another page. Uh, the... Wee- 